This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata O Manawatu. Um, we've been absent the past couple of days. Uh, we didn't get a chance to speak to Ian McKelvey on Friday for obvious reasons, uh, which will all be finalised today, apparently, as the National Party pick a new leader. Uh, and on Monday, we had a cedar spot scheduled, but that fell through at the last minute. Uh, what didn't fall through, though, is today's spot where we're looking at Horizons Regional Council. And uh, on the phone this morning. We have Cara Heslin, uh, Senior uh, Communications Advisor for Horizons. Good morning to you, uh, Cara. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad at all. Thank you for joining us on what is a very horrible day. I can understand why you didn't come to the studio. The the rain is thrashing down, which is in complete contrast to the weather we've been experiencing recently. Um, Now, uh, before we get too far into it, uh, obviously yesterday the government announced uh, the new traffic light system, the the COVID-19 framework, uh, protection framework, and uh, our area, well, some of our area uh, is going into orange, uh, although I did hear mention of Rangitiki going into uh, a different colour. It seems to be quite sporadic how that's happening. Uh, is Horizons on top of the whole protection framework? Yeah, we are. So much like most of the country, I'd imagine, we watched that announcement yesterday afternoon. Um, and yeah, you're right, At, for our region, we are a mixture of orange and red. Um from a regional council perspective, that doesn't mean, like it doesn't change much um, compared to how we're operating now, but what it does mean is that um, regardless of whether we're at red or whether we're at orange, that we're encouraging everybody to mask and pass, as um, as the government has put it, so that mask up and um, about scan in wherever you go for contact tracing and have your vaccine pass ready to show if somewhere... Um, requires it upon entry. So, yeah, we're, we're doing a few things here um, this morning just to clarify, yeah, just to double-check that nothing else really needs to change. So, for example, our public transport buses, um, the protocols in place for Level 2 remain the same at the traffic light system. Nothing changes there. And, um, yeah, just kind of checking in on, on any other areas of our business. Um, we have offices in... Um, in Monganui and Martin and Tomananui, so places like that, are in red compared to us here in Palestine North who are in orange. So, yeah, again, as I said, it doesn't really change too much, but it's just being aware of the different um, requirements at those levels. And one of the main things that probably does impact for us as staff is gathering sizes. So at red, um, if we're not requiring people to be to show that they're vaccinated, then that changes how many people you can and can't have in a space and things like that. So, mm. yeah, it's just it's all part of that living with COVID um, 
Yes, it, it, it is entirely. Um, I, I guess uh, the main thing that it strikes me that is going to be one of the challenges for, for all councils is the number of uh, unmanned or, or, or limited staff presence at some of the facilities and perhaps some of the more remote facilities and making sure that if vaccine pass is a requirement to entry, uh, sort of policing that or monitoring that is going to be quite a challenge. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, fortunately, we don't have many facilities that I can't. To be honest, I can't actually think of any facilities that would require us to do that. But you're right, especially at a district and city council, that will certainly be a challenge for for councils. So, yeah, mm-hmm. just watch the space, I suppose, as we all get used to it and try and figure out how to navigate the system. Well, in happier news, uh, moving away from that, and of course we'll know more uh, on Friday and, and next week, and, and NPR will will tell everyone about that. But moving on uh, to to happier things, I believe congratulations are in order. You are back from maternity leave, um, and not only should we be congratulating uh, you, but you want to uh, give a, a, a doff of the cap, a nod of the head to uh, Horizons themselves. You've 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 um, accessed a side of the workplace culture and. and the support that you you, you want to uh, share with people? Yeah, I guess, um, I think sometimes people forget that, that, you know, when it comes to council or interacting with councils, so much of it is around services and um, what people are getting for their rates, which is completely understandable, but I guess I kind of just wanted to take a moment to highlight all the people that work, you know, like the the working environment of being in councils, because I think perhaps people don't quite... um, comprehend exactly what it's like to work for a council as such when, when all you kind of see is the, the public facing side of things so yeah I you're right I, I have a son which is awesome and I returned to work in October and since coming back to work Horizons has been so awesome and I, and I witnessed this with other parents that returned to work not just mums um, you know that extends to dads as well but Horizons is awesome at, being, at providing flexibility and understanding that some days you know, you, you need to come into the office a bit later because getting out the door has been a real challenge or um, leave earlier because, you know, you, you, your kid needs picking up earlier or that sick and you have to work from home for a wee bit. But Horizons has been really awesome in that respect. Hey, um, I'm, yeah, I'm having terrible flashbacks to my, at my time as a parent as well. But uh, how, how much of this do you think is, is Horizons uh, workplace culture uh, from a sort of historic perspective and how much of this sort of uh, to- tolerance, support, leniency has come from the pandemic and the realisation that working from home and flexibility is actually not only possible but actually pretty good in some cases? Yeah, that's a really interesting question actually and it's something that we've spoken about in general um, in the office around flexibility. I suppose, to be honest, for parents it's always, um, for, yeah, for people with parents, uh, sorry, with kids or um, other dependents, that has always been an approach that Horizons has taken, but they have certainly extended, or um, yeah, we've seen it more present for people that don't have to go home for a dependent, that it just suits them to work, home, for, work from home one day a week, or you have slightly um, different hours than your standard eight or five type of thing. So yes, the pandemic has certainly um, provided more flexibility, I think, when it comes to how uh, you balance time between the office and at home. And, yeah, as I said, it was something that we were talking about in the office not that long ago, actually. Yeah, we, we reckon across the country that, or probably even across the world, that uh, businesses and organisations have adapted to the idea that you don't have to be in the office all the time to get things done. So has your son made an appearance on Zoom then? 
Uh, not on Zoom. Well, not not um, his voice has. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, uh, he, he hasn't run across or tried to get in front of the camera yet. Oh, that time will come, I'm quite sure. Uh, we are here yeah. with uh, Cara Heslin, uh, Senior Communications Advisor for Horizons Regional Council, looking at what's happening uh, within Horizons in the, as it turns out, the wonderful uh, workplace environment and culture uh, of Horizons. Uh, the, the, you're, you're the poster child for their recruitment processes, I'm quite sure, Cara. Um, <laughs> let's have a look at, I mean, basically now it, it, it's just the, the marathon to Christmas now. I mean, it's been things have been compounded and made more difficult by the the announcement that we probably won't be in the green traffic light level before Christmas. Uh, Some people may have been hoping for that, but uh, alas, that doesn't look like the case. And so some things, um, I guess, are being reinforced. I'm thinking of the the new booking system for Totara Reserve. Uh, Was this always going to be a thing that was implemented or is this in a response to the pandemic? Uh, no, it was something that we were always planning on doing because prior to that, we have, let's say, quite an old school system of you turned up and paid, bank, uh, paid your uh, camping fees into a honesty box if, um, if the campground manager wasn't there. So, no, just uh, that was more of a get up with the times um, goal, I suppose, you know, or uh, approach, I suppose, in terms of getting the website up and running. So, basically, now if people want to book, the Tortoda Reserve, they go to tortoidareserveregionalpark.co.nz and they can book their sites online. And it's, it's so much better from a, um, from a management perspective in terms of the RSC, who's coming when, having all the contact details in terms of being able to get in touch with people if we need to. Um, and it also means, more importantly, for people who want to come, they know that they've got a site, um, that it's all booked in, and they, can't, you know, they won't miss out because... One thing that has happened as a result of COVID, not the online system it, um, itself, but uh, we do have to have restrictions in place in terms of how many how many people come out. So having the online booking system makes it far more manageable, and it means that people can see if, if there's space for them um, on the night they want to come. And not to mention all the information about what is out at Tortoise Reserve is on that website as well. So it gives information about the. Um, like the fire pit and the, the barbecue facilities, the, the ablution box, the walks, um, what you can do out there, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's awesome to have all that information in one place and make it really easy for people who want to stay. Marvellous. Uh, of course, the last time Totara Reserve uh, made headlines was the, the trees, uh, one of the trees falling, um, and, of course, the, the subsequent felling of all the trees along the, the front there. But the felling of those trees uh, by the river, the, the, there are environmental uh, implications there in terms of protecting the riverbank and things. What, what, that was probably a year ago was the last time I was out there. Uh, what's, been, what's been going on there in the intervening time? They've, um, they've planted out the bank now with a whole bunch of natives. So that helps stabilise the bank. Um, not to mention fills that gap. Yeah, 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 because you're right, all those poplar trees have been removed, um, which served their purpose for a long time, but got to a size that made them susceptible in the high winds that we often have in the middle of two, unfortunately. So, yes, after one um, after one came down, we we realised that they, yeah, they definitely, they all needed to go following that. Um and so they were all removed. And, yeah, that, that space has all been planted out with natives, which um, 
a local school schoolhouse plant. Maybe I think it might have actually been Newbury School that went out there for one of the planting days anyway, and perhaps our home school, which is just up the road. Marvellous, cool. And of course, natives far better uh, in terms of uh, the environment and, and, and providing a, a, an environment for our uh, wildlife. Uh, has this, uh, did the, this raise uh, alarm bells in terms of other areas in Horizons Regional Council boundary where perhaps poplars have been planted around the same time and the same consideration should have been given to them? Or is, was this fairly isolated? Um, I, I believe it's isolated in terms of the one falling down. However, I'm pretty sure that um, our river engineers are, are part of their kind of um, maintenance of um, of waterways includes things like ch- uh, checking poplar trees and willow trees. Um, because I know we have a pruning maintenance program. I have to admit... Um, I'm not super familiar with that at the moment because it's not a project I'm working on, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we have a, a maintenance program when it comes to checking on, um, on planting. Then, yeah, where, where we know there are issues, then we, we remove them. I, I can remember in the past, anyway, there being other spots that um, trees have been taken out. They start calling them old man poplars or old man willows, if you've ever heard that term. Oh, yes. When they get, they get quite large and they, yeah, they need to be removed because not, not only is it um, not only are they susceptible to coming down in wind, but if there is a flood um, and there's enough force on the trees, then if they come down because their root systems are so large because they've been there for so long, then they take a lot of the bank away with them, which we obviously don't want from a river management perspective either. No, no. People look at trees; they don't understand the complexity that lies within from a bureaucratic point of view. Um, the other thing that Total Reserve is known for is is being quite a lovely little swim spot, and uh, you. I guess you're wanting to uh, highlight again uh, that Horizons have uh, a pretty, well, it's another traffic light system, the Summer Swim Spot Monitoring Programme, where people can check out the, the health of the water they're about to dip into. Yes, that's right. So, yep, you're, you're spot on at, um, at Kedadun, which is the large uh, camping ground um, at Tortola Reserve. That's where Camp Ringy Woods is, and that's the, that's the camping ground that most people go to. There's an awesome swimming spot there. Um, and that's also the spot, one of the, one of the um, 80 spots we monitor around the region. So uh, we have um, three staff who every week visit those 80 swim spots. So they spend at least three days travelling around the region, visiting each spot and taking a water sample, which is then brought back to Horizons and sent off to a lab. Um, and the lab then tests the water to check uh, for E. coli um, levels. And then that those results go on uh, lawa.org.nz, which is the national uh, website for water quality results. So not only can people check our region's results there, but if anyone goes travelling over summer and wants to know if they should, if they go swimming at a certain uh, beach or a river, because we do uh, freshwater and uh, and beach sites, uh, they can check that website to see what the water quality is like. Um, and if the spot they're at, that includes, and this includes within our region, if they're at a spot that isn't monitored by us or by another council, uh, we have some general rules we suggest people apply, which is uh, to not swim uh, at least three to five days following rainfall because that's when 
um, uh, with sediment and E. coli levels can be quite high in waterways. Um, so, yeah, basically if it's clean and clear and you can't see any visible hazards such as logs or rocks or things like that and you're away from steep cliffs, then jump on it and enjoy it. So uh, given the rain that we're experiencing today, you wouldn't be advising people to be going swimming this weekend? No. Uh, Tuesday. Oh, by the weekend, it might be okay if it's looking clean and clear. Um, yeah, you know, you'd kind of be on that five-day border there, but it's we'd say at least three. But sometimes, depending on the waterway, it might need a couple more days to settle down. So, yeah, as I say, if it's clean and clear, it looks good to go. Then people are uh, free to jump on in. But um, another thing to look out for is cyanobacteria as well, which is we refer to it as a black, musty-smelling kind of mat on the um, on stones and rocks around around the water's edge. But that is more common as we get further into summer because it likes to grow in um, warm conditions at low low river flows when um, when river level uh, sorry, water temperatures get a little bit warmer when the river levels drop. So um, that we tend to see after when we've had really long periods of nice weather and not so much rain. So yeah, we we, we have what we call the fresh, which is a bit of an um, increase in water levels as after a bit of rain. When one of those comes through, they tend to wash the cyanobacteria away. Um, but, yeah, as we get further into some of that, that becomes a little bit more present. So we, we suggest that we look for that as well. How much... Uh, this is possibly a science question and possibly not your remit, so just tell me to go and speak to a scientist if that's the case. But how much of this, like the, the, the bacteria on the rocks and, and, and uh, after the rainfall, the, the chances of E. coli, etc., uh, being in the water has increased, how much of that is a result of uh, the human population uh, polluting land and creating runoff to cause these problems? And how much of this is just the way nature works, that when it rains, stuff comes from the land and some of that's bad for people to swim in? Gosh, yeah, that is, a, that is <laughs> definitely a science question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, 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 I don't understand whether it's because we are nasty, nasty human beings uh, and we've created a rod for our own back or whether it's just a thing that's always happened. I will ask around, though. Um, so not only are we talking uh, swimming spots and, and, and water quality in that regard, but I noticed on the uh, Horizons website, you have a news page there, uh, you're also looking at sort of f- flood protection and resilience in uh, Whanganui and Palmerston North. Uh, Whanganui's Anzac Parade has a sort of resilience scheme underway. I understand that was sort of delayed a bit because of COVID. Some of the sort of the community uh, interactions were delayed a bit, but that's 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 moving forward. Yeah, it is. So um, this is a project that's been underway for a wee while, but uh, the the community consultation part has been delayed because of COVID. Um, we were we were intending on um, holding some meetings in August, but of course August went to hell. <laughs> August ends up looking a lot different than any of us anticipated. Mm-hmm. So we're finally catching up on that now. So in early December, we are inviting those that live in the Anzac Parade area. And for anyone who's not super familiar with it, where Anzac Parade is particularly, it's where Corfi Park is. So where Corfi Park at Monganui is, it's all the houses in that area. And that area was uh, hit quite hard by the 2015 floods that saw the Monganui River over the top stop bank. Mm-hmm. So, um, the people that live in that area, we're inviting them to join us 
uh, at the library in early December to have a chat about where uh, Massey University actually is leading this project, where Massey's got to in terms of potential resilience um, planning for the community and, yeah, getting an update on that project. So we have, uh, sorry, we, uh, Massey's been door knocking um, to invite people to come along and we sent out a media release as well. So hopefully we'll have a good turnout and they'll, they'll yeah, have plenty of people to talk to. Uh, is this just going to be a case of, of uh, raising the stock banks a bit further or is there more nuanced approaches that we can be looking at? Uh, there, um, there are a range of options for that way in terms of, um, yeah, raising stock banks is an option. Uh, so is um, potentially raising houses. So is leaving the area. But in terms of what they will do, we're not sure. But Overall, um, as a council, we're keen for, to make sure that people living in that area understand what they're dealing with. Um, so a lot of effort has gone into um, mapping the area to show where flood levels go because while some people who lived there were there in 2015, some people weren't as well. So it's about uh, helping them understand what they're potentially facing if we were to have another event like that. Um, and then, yeah, they're kind of figuring out potentially what the options are and what, what they could do. Um, and also I mentioned Mangione Stream in Palmerston North. This is more about uh, making it a bit more nature-focused from what I briefly read from the article this morning because uh, I admit it is basically you know a grass uh, berm with a path and then this big ditch in the middle. You're just trying to sort of uh, nature it up a bit. Yeah, so... Uh Currently, in that position of the, of the Mangardi Street, there is a timber retaining bank, uh, retaining wall, sorry, and that the job of that is to protect the stock bank that then protects the community around it. Um, and that timber wall is approaching the end of its useful life, is what the engineer told me the other day. So basically what that means is it needs replacing. And so uh, we're taking the opportunity to... Uh, as we do the replacement, to basically improve it, improve what we replace it with um, from a biodiversity perspective. So instead of replacing like for like, essentially, we're taking the opportunity to to do a different um, to do a different option, which is making or planting out the burn, which is that wide bit of grass before the stop bank, planting that out with native plants. So they'll, they'll stabilise the bank and help protect the bank instead and those plants will then um, increase the biodiversity in the stream in terms of habitat for um, for insects and stuff which uh, helps feed the native fish in the stream. So as part of doing this project, uh, we asked uh, Rangatane to come and um, remove the fish that were in that part of the stream. So they put a sediment track um, upstream of the works and then downstream of the works to stop uh, the dirt that will naturally get in there as part of the work going any further. But by putting those um, traps in place, it also traps the fish that were in the stream within that small stretch. So Rangatani came, came along and fished out that part of the stream, and from memory they found 62 tuna and 19 bullies. So they uh, took those and put them in other parts of the streams that they can, t- can, can continue on their little happy fish life. And, um, yeah, so once the works are all completed and the plants are in place, they will attract insects, which will then fall into the stream and the fish can eat. I did not know there was that many fish in that stream. 
Yeah, well, that's just a that small stretch of stream too. That's not the stream in its entirety. So, yeah, it goes to show why it's important to um, to protect, well, to, to increase habitat in the areas because if there's that many fish in just that small stretch, imagine what there is on, the, on and it's total, and you know they're all going to be fed and things like that. So, um, yeah, the other thing I should note is that um, linking, looping around back quite nicely to the COVID chat that we started with. Um, the funding for that work is partly funded by Kanoa, which is the uh, uh, Resilience um, Investment Unit. I can't remember. Sorry. I yeah, remember. no, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. The full name. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's funded by central government anyway. Resilience funding that has um, come out post-COVID to help with climate resilience for, uh, for communities, but also to help them um, create employment opportunities. So um, through this work, we're engaging uh, local um, uh, local contractors to do the work and also providing some work experience to a youth from the Highbury Whānau Centre. Um, and so we're giving him the opportunity to upskill essentially through this project and um, have yeah have work experience that will hopefully set him up set him up well for um, yeah finding future employment. Awesome stuff. Uh, we are here with Cara Hesslin from Horizons looking at what they have been up to and it sounds like they are quite busy. Um, and of course, uh, the, the stuff doesn't finish on the 31st of December. We're looking to the new year. Uh, we are hoping uh, to have some events taking place, uh, names that everyone will recognise, field days and, and the rural games. Um, we are aware of the city and district council's involvement in these games, but Horizons has a fairly large part to play as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be present at both um, Seal Days and the Rural Games in March next year. So we're starting to plan for that already. Um, yeah, so as we lead up to Christmas, it's all it's all a bit hectic. But um, we're yeah, we're already thinking about early next year and what's coming up and taking advantage of having the opportunity to to talk to um, our ratepayers and engage with them. Um, the theme for both of those at this point will be water-related because that's something that is really topical for us at the moment and um, something that everyone cares about. So, yeah, looking forward to those events and getting out there and talking to people. And uh, just something that's popped into my head, uh, we were talking about the, the buses earlier on. I have noticed uh, a couple of times uh, around Palmerston North, the electric bus is, is doing the rounds and uh, obviously working perfectly well. When are we getting more? Don't know. Sorry, I have to admit, I'm, I don't know the answer to that question. But that might be a good one to put to Rachel next time you uh, um, chair when you talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I mean, the the bus has been a success, hasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really popular and it's great to you know be reducing um, emissions as much as we can. Indeed, uh, Cara Heslin, uh, senior communications advisor for Horizons Regional Council. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on the catch up. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. There we go. Uh, that is the catch-up for today on Manawatu People's Radio. Tomorrow, please do join us again. Uh, we will be here at half past eight with another edition. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, as I say, that's it for the catch-up this morning. Uh, Tomorrow we will be speaking to... Oh, I can't remember. It'll be a surprise. You'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Join us then at half past eight. Bye for now.
support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.